Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The following is a recording of a special event called The Significance and History of the Day of Ashura held at the Qalam Campus. This event and its recording was provided free of charge to the community and the rest of the world. Invest in your Sadhgajariya by donating to Qalam today so that we can continue to educate and facilitate many programs just like this one. Please visit supportqalam.com and donate generously. Jazakallah khair. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Okay, that's much better. So, I wanted us to be able to gather here today before Salat al-Maghrib to be able to talk about the significance of this day what it exactly means, what it represents, what historical significance this day holds for us, and also what is the spiritual um, blessing of this day. So I'd like for us to talk about that in four different components. So there are four things that I will like to detail here today. First and foremost is what exactly is the day of Ashura. What is Ashura? We know the name, we use the word, but what does Ashura actually mean? And what is this day? So Ashura, that word itself, is literally derived from the root-base word Ashar, which means 10. And it represents basically the 10th day. And it is the 10th day of the first month of the lunar calendar, Al-Muharram, Muharram Al-Haram, which is literally the name of the month is sacred. So it's the 10th day of the first month of the lunar calendar, and even that month is known as a sacred month. Now, what exactly makes this day significant? What is this day? The Prophet he tells us that in an authentic narration found in the books of hadith, including Sahih Bukhari, Sahih Muslim, in which the Prophet ﷺ, he says that this is the day. So the story basically goes that when the Prophet ﷺ came to the city of Medina, he found Ra'a al Yahuda Yasumuna Yawma Ashura. They, he found that the Jewish community that lived in Medina, they used to fast on this day. So he said, why do y'all fast on this day? This commemorates the day, the moment on which Allah commanded Musa alayhi salam to lead Bani Israel, the Israelites, to take them to flee, like Allah talks about in the Quran. And these are, these are events that are detailed in the Quran. In Surah Taha, in Surah number 20, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, وَلَقَدْ أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ مُوسَىٰ أَنْ أَسْرِ بِعِبَادِي لَيْلًا That Allah commanded Musa, the Prophet Moses, go to the Israelites, Tell them to pack their bags and pack their stuff, get their families ready, and by night, take them and escape. 
the clutches of the Pharaoh, Fir'aun, and those people that are enslaving them and tormenting them. So they ended up leaving. They escaped that night. The Fir'aun and his army and his people basically realized the following morning that all these people are gone. These people have all fled. So they pursued after them. And Allah had told Musa mutabaun. They're going to come after you by the way. So they came after them. They put together a huge army and they went after them. When they pursued them, they pursued them all the way to the Red Sea. And when they arrived there, Musa salam and Bani Israel, they're looking at the sea in front of them. They were moving a little bit slower, right? They had like families, the elderly, children, people with them. And so they finally get there and they see the sea in front of them and they say, where do we go? What do you do with the ocean? We don't have the wherewithal to cross this. While they're still trying to figure out what to do, they turn around and this bloodthirsty army of Pharaoh and his people have shown up. And they're just waiting for an opportunity to commit a massacre here. When that moment occurs, many of the Israelites, Bani Israel, they actually suffer a moment of weakness. And they go to Musa and they say, Inna We're dead. We're done. You've killed us. There's the ocean in front of us and an army behind us. Where do we go? There is nowhere to go. So Musa salam, the Quran tells us, he says, Kalla. He says, absolutely not. I refuse to accept that. Inna Rabbi. My Lord is with me. Sayahdini. And he will make, me, make a way for me. He will show me the way. Fawhayna ila Musa. And then Allah tells us that we instructed Moses, walk into the ocean, into the water, take your staff, and with your staff, strike the ocean, strike the water in the name of Allah. And Musa salam did exactly as Allah instructed him. فَانْفَلَقْ The sea split. فَكَانَ كُلُّ فِرْقٍ الْعَظِيمِ And it looked like two mountains. The water stood up on either side like mountains. And the Quran even says, يَبَسًا لَا تَخَافُ دَرَكًا وَلَا تَخْشَى That when they stepped onto the floor of the ocean, the dirt was dry. Allah separated every particle of water from every particle of dirt on the floor of the ocean to the point that the floor of the ocean was dusty. That's how dry it was. Because that was the promise of Allah. So they passed through there. They crossed the floor of the sea. And when they reached the other side, some of them began to worry because they see that Pharaoh has been watching all of this and he's tried to kind of turn this in his favor. He's told his army, look what I've done. I've created a way. And he says, let's go. And he leads his army into the bottom of the ocean. And as soon as they get like fully in the middle of the ocean, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes the water to collapse. And the Quran tells us, Allah drowns Fir'aun and his army. So, فَكَانُوا مِنَ الْمُغْرَقِينَ That they're completely drowned and ruined and destroyed. So, that moment that, we just, that I just described, where the help and the aid of Allah came to these downtrodden, oppressed, violated believers. And where Allah demonstrated His might and His power in this world, and the world witnessed one of the greatest physical miracles the world has ever witnessed. And then Allah destroyed one of the greatest tyrants that ever walked the face of this earth. That moment in which all this happened, to commemorate that moment, that was the 10th day of the month of Muharram. That corresponded to the 10th day of the month of Muharram. So Musa alayhi salam, the Prophet Moses, every year when that day would come back around, he would fast on that day. He would fast on that day. And that is the origin of the day of Ashura. So when the Prophet ﷺ comes to Medina, he says that, they tell him, this is why we fast on this day. The Prophet ﷺ, he makes a statement, he says, نَحْنُ أَحَقُّ بِمُوسَى مِنْكُمْ We are much more connected to the legacy and the tradition of Moses than you people are. Because Moses came from the tradition of prophets and messengers. And y'all rejected Isa You did not keep with that tradition. We are the true you know, inheritors of the tradition of Moses. Where we believe in the prophets, we believe in the messengers, we believe in the scripture. So then the Prophet so the Prophet said, I shall fast on this day. And he started observing fasting on the 10th day of Muharram. And he commanded his followers to also start fasting on that day. That was the first day of, that was the first year of their arrival in Medina. The first year of Hijrah. What the scholars detail is, in the second year of their residence in Medina, Ramadan became instituted. So for one year, it was mandatory for all Muslims to fast on Ashura. For one year, it was mandatory for all Muslims to fast on Ashura. The following year when Ramadan became instituted, and Ramadan became mandatory, then they were told, now Ramadan is the obligation, you no longer have to fast on the day of Ashura, but you can still choose to fast on that day. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ, he encouraged everyone to fast on that day, and the Prophet ﷺ, in fact, he gave the virtue, he said, That my hope in the reward and the virtue of fasting on this day is that Allah will remove and wipe away all the sins that were committed in the previous year. So in the previous whole entire calendar year, all the sins that were committed by the person 
when that person fasts on the day of Ashura, the reward and the virtue of fasting that day is the previous year's sins are all wiped away from the person. May Allah accept from us all. But it did remain optional. As the Prophet ﷺ said uh, in Sahih Muslim, Inna Ashura yawmun min ayyamillah. Ashura is a day from the days of God. What that means is, it is a day of devotion to Allah. It is one of those special days in the whole calendar year where you show extra devotion to your Lord. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he said, فَمَنْ شَاءَ صَامَهُ وَمَنْ شَاءَ تَرَكَهُ If someone would like to fast on this day, then they absolutely should fast on this day. But if someone is not able to fast on this day, there's no sin, there's no wrong that they have com committed by not fasting on the day of Ashura. So it is optional. So that's first point. What is the history? What is this day? This day, the history, the origin of it is that it was observed by the Prophet Musa السلام, and then our Messenger وسلم, and as a commemoration of the help and the mercy of Allah when Allah saved and rescued the believers of that time, the Israelites, the Bani Israel, saved them from the clutches of Fir'aun and Allah unleashed upon this world one of the greatest displays of His power that this world has ever seen and that was the splitting of the sea. Number two. The second point I wanted to touch on. There is some other historical significance of this day. And while the first thing that I mentioned is a little bit more in the light and in the vein of something that we celebrate. The help of Allah, the mercy of Allah. Allah split the sea for the believers. Allah defeated the enemy. The second historical relevance of this day is something that is very sad and tragic and heartbreaking. And this is more the history of our ummah. What happened after the Prophet So what transpired after the Prophet was that you had a period of time that the Prophet had foretold us about that we call Al-Khilafatul Rashida. The period of the righteous guided caliphs, the righteous guided leaders succeeding the Prophet. Al-Khulafa al-Rashidun, the rightly guided leaders of the Muslims. We had this period of about 30 years. And it was a time of growth of the Ummah, of Islam. The first you can say about two-thirds of it or three-quarters of it were a time of even peace and tranquility and prosperity for the Muslims. Towards the end of it, there was turmoil and there was disturbance. The forces of evil at that time, the people who intended ill and had ill will and malice towards the Muslim community had set their sights on the Muslim Ummah. And they infiltrated the ranks of the Muslims and they started causing discord amongst the ranks of the Muslims. And that eventually created infighting within the Muslims 
and there was a lot of tragedy that occurred. And that period ended on a very sad and tragic note. One of the greatest people of this ummah, very beloved to the Prophet ﷺ, and one of the most remarkable leaders of this ummah, Ali bin Abi Talib anhu, he was assassinated and was killed. And that period ended on this very turbulent note. Nonetheless, once that period ended, Muslims were able to at least, for a little while, enjoy some restabilizing with the leadership of Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. Muawiyah radiallahu anhu was a companion of the Prophet sallallahu He was able to kind of bring some stability back to the ummah. However, when Muawiyah radiallahu anhu passed away, at that time, some very serious, you know, disagreement and conflict started to occur within the Muslim community, within the Muslim ummah. And that conflict stemmed from the fact that Muawiyah's son, Yazid, was basically assuming the position of the leadership of the Muslim ummah. And he was not seen to be fit to rule and to lead by many, if not most, if not all, of the surviving companions of the Prophet And many objected. Some just abstained from any kind of comment to not create more problems. Ultimately, the grandson of the Prophet Al-Husayn radiallahu ta'ala anhu who is the son of the daughter of the Prophet the daughter of the Prophet Fatima radiallahu anha and her husband of course Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhu those were his parents so he was raised in the lap of the Prophet he was his mother the one who nurtured him and raised him was the daughter of the Prophet who was raised by the Prophet his father you know, the man who taught him how to be a man was none other than the line of Allah, the line of God, Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. So this was a remarkable person, Al-Husayn. There were two brothers, Al-Hasan and Wal-Husayn. Right? Remarkable young men. And leaders in their own right. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had actually said about his older brother Hasan, Innabni hadha sayyid. This boy of mine, this grandson, this boy of mine is a leader. So they were remarkable men, remarkable leaders. Companions of the Prophet ﷺ, family of the Prophet ﷺ, grandsons of the Prophet ﷺ. Al-Husayn, it's a lengthier kind of narrative, the whole kind of step-by-step step what exactly transpired. But the gist and the summary of it is, is that Al-Husayn, felt that this was not okay. Just because someone is imposing themselves upon the ummah and usurping power, I understand and appreciate the sentiment of many of my colleagues to keep the peace, to not shed blood. 
But I feel that the crime that we are allowing in the spirit of keeping the peace and not shedding blood is too great of a crime. And I feel that if we tolerate this crime today, it will lead to even more shedding of blood and even more oppression and violence down the road. So Al-Husayn decided to take a stand. When he decided to take a stand, unfortunately and tragically, the forces that be at that time, Yazid and his deputies and his ministers and the people that did his dirty work, they decided to take very drastic measures. They put together an army and they sent them out to siege Al-Hussein and the people that were with him. And the people that were with him were not some kind of like rebel army. It was not some rowdy mob. It was literally what we call friends and family. There were family members. There were children. There were women and children. They were elderly. And they sieged them. They surrounded them for days and days and days. Deprived them of food and water and drink. Took them to the point of starvation and death and then ultimately unleashed a massacre upon them in which one of the people they very deliberately and specifically targeted was Al-Husayn the grandson of the Prophet and his family is the family of the Prophet on that day they literally massacred the family of the Prophet And for those that are maybe, you know, a little bit older, uh, for those who maybe even spent time in or grew up in parts of the Muslim world, for those who maybe are a little bit more kind of in tune and have read up on a lot of what occurs after this, Maybe you're somewhat kind of aware of a lot of the polemics and the politics and the debates and the disagreements that kind of happen about this whole situation. For a moment, I want you to put all of that aside. Like I'll just be kind of blunt and just kind of say, you might have grown up in Pakistan. Where like all the Shia Sunni debates and polemics are just you know, at, at an all-time high right now. And everyone draws their lines in the sand and everyone's kind of got their red lines and all that. Put all of it aside for right now. I want you to think about your own family. We're not talking, we're talking about a massacre. I won't even talk about a massacre. If you came here tonight, not here, inshallah, it never happens here. If you went to the supermarket with your family, if you went to the supermarket with your family and I'm not talking about like, you know, anything. But if somebody was even rude, if somebody was rude, if somebody yelled at some of your family members at the supermarket, 
How enraged would you be? How beside yourself would you be? Like how upset would you be? How dare they talk to my family that way? Can you believe that? My mom or my wife or my son, my daughter, they went there and they were treated like this. And you'd be outraged if the person listening to it wasn't outraged. If the person listening to it was kind of like, eh, that's okay. What do you mean it's okay? What if I treated your family that way? Like that's the love, the affection, the protection, the honor, the dignity that we have for our loved ones. This is the family of the Prophet And these were like pious, righteous, remarkable people. And their blood was just spilled in the desert. They were massacred. Like, like they didn't matter. It's a great tragedy. And it goes directly against everything the Prophet had told us. The Prophet he mentions to us in a number of different narrations. The Prophet he said, one narration, he says, not once, but three times he repeated. This is mentioned in Sahih Muslim. Three times the Prophet said, Wa ahli bayti, wa ahli bayti, wa ahli bayti. In the week before he died, he repeated this phrase three times. My family, my family, my family. And you can already interpret what that means. But just to explain it properly, in the Arabic language, it's got, it's like an expression. Alaykum bi ahli bayti. Alzimu ahla bayti. It means take care of. Take care of my family. Take care of my family. Take care of my family. And then he said, Udakirukumullah fi ahli bayti. I beg you in the name of Allah, take care of my family. I beseech you. In the name of Allah, take care of my family. And he repeated this phrase three times. And there's numerous other narrations where the Prophet ﷺ, he talks about the virtue of his family and the kind of love that he had for his family. The Prophet ﷺ, but more specifically, I wanted to highlight that when it came to Al-Hasan wal-Husayn so he emphasized on his deathbed to us, take care of my family. That suffices. But then specifically when it came to Al-Hasan wal-Husayn, radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, in one narration found in a tirmidhi the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa says, Al-Hasan wal-Husaynu, Sayyida shababi ahlil jannah. That Al-Hasan and Husayn, radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, my grandsons, they will be the leaders of all the young people in paradise. The Prophet ﷺ, in a hadith in Bukhari, he was playing with the Prophet ﷺ, the, the, the Prophet ﷺ in a hadith in Bukhari, he was playing with Hassan and Hussein, sitting with them when they were little. 
And he was sitting with them and playing with them. And he, some of the Sahaba were there. And he looked at them and he commented to the companions. He said, He said that these are two beautiful gifts that Allah has given me in this world. These are the two things of this world that I enjoy more than anything else. Rayhana refers to a flower. So it's an expression in the Arabic language that when you call something like your flower, your rayhana, it either means that it's a gift or it means something that you enjoy. The Prophet ﷺ said, these two are what I enjoy. These are two gifts that Allah gave me in this dunya. In another narration, the Prophet ﷺ was again, kind of, they were little, Hassan Hussein he was playing with them. And they were, you know, little kids, they kind of play with you and then they run away from you and then they come back to you and they run away and you try to like, you know, play catch with them like you're trying to grab them and they laugh and, you know. And the Prophet ﷺ was playing with them that way. He was like playing catch with them. And the Prophet ﷺ made dua. He stopped and he made dua. He said, Allahumma inni uhibbuhuma fa'ahibbahuma. Oh Allah, I love them so much. So you love them too. So the narrations go on and on and on. There's, in fact, Ibn Taymiyyah ta'ala, he himself talks about it, that the narrations in which the Prophet ﷺ expressed his love for Hassan and Hussein reached the level of tawatur. Meaning there are more than a dozen companions on different occasions. They heard the Prophet ﷺ say, I love them so much. I love them so much. That it became an established fact that the Prophet ﷺ had publicly declared how much love he had for Hassan and Hussein. So, this tragedy also occurred on this day. Now, what do we do kind of with that knowledge and that information? A couple of things. First and foremost, it's important for us to know our history. Right? And this is a very tough lesson of our history. Number two, it's a moment for us to review these narrations. I quoted you narrations from Bukhari, from Muslim, from Tirmidhi. These are authentic ahadith. It's an important occasion for us to actually review some very important teachings from the Prophet ﷺ to us about the importance of the family of the Prophet ﷺ. And how the Prophet ﷺ, there's a general rule, and we say this, the friend of my friend is my friend, right? Any friend of so-and-so is my friend. We say this all the time. Well, the, the people that were beloved to the Prophet ﷺ, how can they not be beloved to us? So loving and cherishing and honoring the memories of the loved ones, the family members of the Prophet ﷺ, is an important occasion to remember that as well and to review that lesson. And thirdly, as a reflection a very powerful reflection, and I apologize for the kind of shortage of time. But it's also a very powerful reminder that Hussein radiallahu ta'ala anhu, 
He did not give his life away frivolously. He didn't just sacrifice him and his family's life for nothing. He did it for a very important, profound reason. And that reason was to uphold the deen of Allah. To maintain Islam, the deen of Allah. To defend what is right, what is true, what is correct. And that's the ultimate sacrifice. To be able to give your life for what is right and what is correct. Right? So we remember that sacrifice and we should be inspired by that sacrifice to also do whatever we can in terms of dedicating ourselves to this deen and always being on the side of the truth and what is right and what is correct. So that leads me to the final point I wanted to make just very quickly and that point is, of course, as we talked about earlier, one of the ways to observe this remarkable day is to fast on this day. As the Prophet Musa did, as the Prophet did, and as he instructed his ummah to do, and as his ummah has done for 1400 years. So we fast on this day. And inshallah we'll be proceeding towards you know the opening of the fast, the iftar. But I wanted to kind of highlight that. There are these moments when we commemorate and celebrate great occasions and great moments and the blessings of Allah. But at the same time, we should remember that the ideal way to celebrate and commemorate the blessings of Allah is through acts of devotion and worship. And that's why the Prophet, that's why Prophet Musa fasted on this day. That's why the Prophet fasted on this day. So we should always try to appreciate the blessings of Allah through acts of devotion. By fasting, by praying, by giving charity, by reciting the Qur'an. And so that's a very important lesson that we get through the sunnah of fasting on the day of Ashura. So with that, um, I'm going to go ahead and pause here, inshallah. And what I'd like to do is just offer uh, a quick dua, the supplication, a dua that we can all make together for a couple of minutes. And then I'll be kind of quiet so that we can all make our own individual duas for a couple of minutes more leading up to uh, the adhan for Maghrib and the iftar, inshallah. الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين اللهم اهدنا واهدي بنا واجعلنا سببا لمن اهتدى اللهم عنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك اللهم احسن عاقبتنا في الأمور كلها واجدنا من خزي الدنيا وعذاب الآخرة اللهم وفقنا لما تحب وترضى لا إله إلا الله الحليم الكريم سبحان الله رب العرش العظيم والحمد لله رب العالمين نسألك موجبات رحمتك وعزائم مغفرتك والغنيمة من كل بر والسلامة من كل إثم لا تدع لنا ذنبا إلا غفرته ولا هما إلا فرجته ولا مريضا إلا شفيته ولا ضالا إلا هديته ولا ميتا إلا رحمته 
ولا حاجة هي لك لظن الله قضيتها ويسرتها يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وارزقنا اتباعه وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار ربنا لا تزي قلوبنا بعد إذ هديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمة إنك أنت الوهاب اللهم اقسم لنا من خشيتك ما تحول به بيننا وبين معصيتك ومن طاعتك ما تبلغنا به جنتك ومن اليقين ما تهون به علينا مصائب الدنيا اللهم متعنا بأسماعنا وأبصارنا وقواتنا ما أحيتنا وجعله الوارث منا وجعل ثأرنا على من ظلمنا اللهم لا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا اللهم لا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا ولا تجعل الدنيا أكبر همنا ولا مبلغ علمنا ولا غاية رغبتنا ولا تسلط علينا من لا يخافك فينا ولا يرحمنا Oh Allah forgive all of our sins Oh Allah have mercy upon us Oh Allah accept all of our prayers and our fasting and our worship Oh Allah Bless and protect our families and our loved ones and the people that we care for. Oh Allah, have mercy upon the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Oh Allah, protect the Ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Unite the Ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Strengthen the Ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Grant devotion and dedication and sincerity and steadfastness to the Ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Oh Allah, allow us all to grow in our deen and to better ourselves, to be able to serve this deen and to be able to serve the people who need help within this dunya. Oh Allah, allow us to follow in the footsteps of the great prophets and messengers of Allah. Allow us to follow in the footsteps of the family of the Prophet Oh Allah, allow us to follow in the footsteps of the companions of the Prophet Oh Allah, count us amongst the righteous even if we are not. Oh Allah, count us amongst the devout even when we are fa- when even when we fail to devote ourselves. Oh Allah, make us sincere even when we lack sincerity. Oh Allah, accept from us and bless us and protect us and increase us. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.